Welcome to Crosscut Talks. I'm Paris Jackson, the host of Crosscut Now and KCTS 9, and the host for this podcast. Today, we are talking about the groundwork currently being laid to mobilize a new centrist political party, the Forward Party. It's a conversation with former Democratic presidential candidate and Forward Party co-creator, Andrew Yang. In May, Yang sat down with Crosscut executive editor and moderator, David Lee, to explore his political party at the Crosscut Ideas Festival in Seattle. Yang shares why he ran for president on solutions, pushing ideas like the universal basic income, and how after his campaign, he too became despondent like much of the American public. Yang argues the current two-party political system is broken, with the majority of election races not competitive in his view. He explains what the Ford Party is and his practical approach to working across the aisle to fix America's problems. Yang's desire ultimately is to re-energize voters who may feel powerless, an effort he believes may be the only way for us to move forward as a country. I hope you enjoy this interesting conversation. Please share your feedback on the podcast with us by sending it to talks at crosscut.com. Now let's get into it. Well, hello everyone and welcome to the Crosscut Ideas Festival. My name is David Lee and I am the executive editor of Crosscut. Today, I'm here to have a conversation with someone who's pretty used to thinking about big things in different ways, Andrew Yang. Many of you know Andrew as a former Democratic candidate for president and former candidate of mayor for New York City. He's also an entrepreneur, a well-known proponent of a universal basic income, and he's a co-creator of a new player on the nation's political stage, the Forward Party. Now. If there is one thing every voter across America can agree on, it's that we want our politics to change for the better. But what to do and how is a topic as contentious as any other. Today with Andrew, we're gonna zero in on one idea, this new party with big ambitions and some very big challenges, and learn what can we do about everything to change things and make it take. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Andrew Yang. Thank you, thank you, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, David. So Andrew, you know, there's a lot of talk about how divided we are and how much dysfunctional um, situation there is around uh, politics right now. Uh, we can't seem to agree about war, the economy, education, abortion, and everyone's gearing up for probably another brutal uh, presidential campaign. Biden versus Trump, the rematch, <laughs> 2024. What? It's gonna be better this time. Well, what are your- It's biggest... actually just gonna be older this time. <laughs> What are the biggest concerns that you see uh, for the health overall of the Democratic uh, Republic right now? Uh, David, people are right to be concerned. I imagine everyone here is here in part because you don't think our democracy is humming. You don't think our country is heading on a, a fantastic track. I felt the same way back in 2016 when Trump won. I saw it as a giant red flag. Uh, I'd traveled the Midwest and the South and I'd seen the aftermath of the automation of uh, millions of manufacturing jobs in those communities. And I work 
with a lot of people in technology, and they said, look, what we did to the manufacturing workers, we're gonna do to the call center workers, the retail workers. Turns out, uh, the Hollywood writers, I mean, they didn't call that one, but uh, it's, uh, so they knew that this wave was gonna speed up, uh, and I, I'm gonna confess to you all, I ran for president of the United States. You remember when I showed up on, on your TV screen during the debates and you said, who's the Asian guy next to Joe Biden? And you Googled it. <laughs> uh, but I, I didn't actually imagine I was going to be president of the United States, you know, uh, because I'm not insane. Um, but, and, and I'm the son of immigrants and my parents were not like, you're gonna be president someday. It was like, you know, like <laughs> get good grades, clean your room. Um, so my mission was to try and educate us to the fact that we're going through this profound economic transformation, what some experts are calling the fourth industrial revolution. Trump was a manifestation of that in 2016. And then that curve is just gonna speed up uh, with the onset uh, of AI and other things. So I ran for president trying to mainstream solutions. And the main solution I championed was a universal basic income, which, oh, thank you. You got some fans. Um, which, uh, which did go from a 27% approval uh, in 2018 to a 65% approval in 2020. Um, I dare say if that curve had been a little faster, I, I might actually be your president today and then we'd have a different convo. Um, but when I came off the trail, I still felt very despondent about the direction of American politics, even though I knew I had objectively overachieved. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like I, I came back and I, and I still felt bad. Um, uh, and so I was like, well, why do I feel so bad? Um, and so I figured out that we are being set up to turn on each other and to have the system fail by design. That is the big insight. Uh, what is the approval rating for US Congress as we're here together right now? I'm anchoring you low so you know it's low. How low? 18 to 22%. So you say 20%, you'd be about right. What is the re-election rate for members of Congress? 94%. So if, so if you are a sports fan, that's a better win rate than the Jordan era Chicago Bulls. The incumbents <laughs> are like Jordan, dunking on people. Um, imagine if you ran any other type of organization or enterprise and you had four to five customers who were upset and you changed nothing. <laughs> what would happen over time? So why is that gulf so dramatic? It turns out that 90% of the congressional districts in this country are drawn to be non-competitive in the general. You know it's a blue district or a red district. You all probably live in a blue district. So there is no tension or suspense as to who's going to represent that district. If you are a legislator, how can you actually lose your job? <laughs> Die or retire, that's, 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 I mean, that, that's become more of an issue, obviously. Um, but the, 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 the way you can lose your job is to get primaried from within your own party. So imagine being a legislator and being completely beholden to 10 to 12% of folks on the extreme. There were 10 House members who voted to impeach Donald Trump. How many of them made it back to office? Two, uh, you know, and of the eight that didn't, their names like Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney and Peter Meyer. Um, uh, and so if you're in the system, you get, okay, if I wanna keep this job, I just have to not piss off the 10 to 12% on the extreme. And that's a distortion, and I, I'm saying it's a distortion on the right, which it is. There are other distortions on the left. Um, so you have this system that pushes people to the sides and then, makes it so that if they reach across the aisle, it was a US senator who said this to me, an issue is worth more to us now unaddressed than addressed. 
Because if we don't address it, I can get you mad, I can raise money, I can get votes on it. What happens if I lean across the aisle and try and solve it? My base turns on me, I'm ideologically impure, I worked with the enemy, I get primaried, my job security goes down. And one illustration of this is when Marco Rubio championed uh, immigration reform a number of years ago. Do you all remember that? Uh, if you don't remember that, don't worry about it. Because a week later, he walked it back and was like, just kidding. So, so what happened during that week? His party went to him and said, Marco, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> you know, if, if you raise this, we're going to take a beating. So let's not solve it. You can swap in any of a number of problems for immigration reform. Uh, and it could be climate change. It could be any of them. So the, the big insight is that whatever you want, this system is not designed to deliver it for you. Unless what you want is for us to hate each other and turn on each other and fear, fear each other and then have it all disintegrate over time. So this is what I concluded. The political incentives are driving us apart. Media organizations are making it worse by separating us into ideological tribes. You all know what I'm talking about. And hats off to, to David and this organization for being one of the exceptions to that, in my view. Uh, and then you have social media pouring gasoline on the whole thing. What do you all think? Is that a reasonable description? Yes. Yeah. So that is the situation we are in. Uh, and the question is, how the heck do we get our way out of it? How the heck do you actually get your way out of this? Now, I'm a practical person. I'm an operator. And there is a real-life solution, concrete, proven. And it comes from the great state of Alaska. Think of Alaska as a weird state. I know. It's, it's fine. Um, so Alaska, in 2020, voted to get rid of their party primaries and replace it with an all-party uh, primary with ranked choice voting. How many of you knew that? You can raise your hand on that. Wow, this is a, like a political crowd. Holy crap. Um, that's why you're so unhappy. <laughs> um, so for those of you who, who weren't as uh, uh, avid about it, uh, this is why Sarah Palin lost to a no-name uh, state legislator native named Mary Paltola. Uh, and so imagine if Sarah Palin was back in Congress next to Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene making us all like, you know, two or three IQ points dumber and, and sadder. <laughs> like, like that would have been the case if they had standard primaries because then she wins the Republican primary. It's R versus D. It's kind of a red estate. She wins. Um, but because everyone got to vote for everyone and Mary Paltola is like actually like very acceptable, like a lot of people just slotted her second. The same thing happened in the Senate race. And this might even be more profound. You had a Republican senator, Lisa Murkowski, who voted to impeach Trump. Remember how 80% of the reps got wiped out? She was the only senator who voted to impeach Trump who was up for re-election. Think about that Venn diagram. Trump goes on a revenge tour, goes to Alaska, has his uh, crazy person who's <laughs> endorsing, Kelly Shabaka. And in a Republican primary, Kelly Shabaka would have beaten Lisa Murkowski hands down. Lisa Murkowski's approval rating among Alaskan Republicans was measured at 8%. She loses that primary. But there is no Republican primary in Alaska anymore. So Lisa Murkowski just goes straight to the entire public and is like, hey, guys, like, what do you think? And so she edges out Shabaka by four or five points. Getting rid of the party primaries in Alaska costs $6 million. What do you think of that as an investment? Pretty freaking good, right? You like got rid of Sarah Palin, you know, Lisa Murkowski is like $6 million. We're spending $8 billion a cycle hating each other. You know? So how much are we spending on trying to fix the system and the mechanics? I'm, I'm not a very good politician, I'll, I'll confess to you all. Uh, my father was a physicist. My mother was a statistician. Um, I'm a geek. 
You know, like I, I'm someone who looks at the system and says, okay, I get it. We're all operating in this terrible design, terrible incentives. The incentives are rewarding folks for you know, being aggressive and inflammatory, it's gonna get worse and worse. If you don't cure the incentives, you're sunk. So this is the mission of the forward party. Now what they, people will say is like, oh, third party, nader, spoiler, blah, blah, blah. It's all nonsense. Because all they're doing is they're fast forwarding to one race out of 520,000 races, which is the presidential. In the case that you actually run someone. You're here in Seattle, this is a non-competitive zone, just like 75% of the country. You have a one-party system here in Seattle. It's the Dems. A lot of you are Dems, but even if you are a Dem here in Seattle, you might not be pumped about what's happening or not happening in Seattle. And you know what your choices are? None. <laughs> you have like zero, zero like, uh, agency uh, in it. The Democrats have that stuff wrapped up, and then they'll be like, hey, what are you gonna do? And, and, and anytime there's a seat that opens up, what is the only question? Who's next in line? You know what I mean? You have this system that's just churning through people while it fails us over and over again. They pretend there's competition, there is not. In three quarters of the country, what they'll do is they'll point to the folks on the other end of the uh, side of the island and say it's their fault, it's their fault. They are nowhere near this scene of what it is that you're concerned about. I've traveled the country, Iowa, Ohio, all over the place. You know, there are people in rural America, they're questioning what the heck is happening to their family's future, their future. They are not your enemy. They are not our enemy. The only enemy is a system that is going to tear us all apart. Okay, so Andrew, let's talk about that then. You are talking about the forward party, a third party that, you know, is, is new. Um, what is it going to take for the forward party to make some inroads? And who is a forward party voter? Uh, so the fun part about what we're doing with the forward party is we're actually doing all the blocking and tackling and jumping the bureaucratic hurdles that stand in the path of the, you know, frankly, majority of Americans right now who'd want something different. Right now, about 25% of Americans say they're Democrats, about 25% say they're Republicans, and about 50% say they're independents. Uh, but this, the, the parties control everything, uh, and those parties are controlled by sort of the extremes within their ranks. So if you want to build a national party, it turns out what you're doing is you're building 50 state parties and then one uh, national umbrella. You're building 51 organizations. So the forward party, which we started 18 months ago, is already the third biggest party in the country by resources, recognized in six states, executive committees in 12, Washington should be uh, up and running by September of this year. Chapters in 47 states. You know why? Because everyone's fed up. Now, the way you overcome the obstacles is on a state-by-state -state basis. So every state has its own rules. Washington's rules are that if you're a new party, you essentially are competing uh, via like a political action committee very often. Um, and that in order to become a major party in Washington state, you'd have to run a statewide candidate, do some things. So we're very, very tactical and practical in every environment. David, uh, the fact is, again, 70% of these 520,000 races around the country are uncontested or uncompetitive. Um, so when you arrive near the forward party, everyone's gonna be like Nader, da da da. It's like, no, we're not talking about Nader, we're talking about your school board. We're talking about the fact that like the county executive position or the nonpartisan mayor's position, like half that stuff is uncontested. The insiders have it. And 
At your downside, if you support the forward party, is just that the party in charge, in your case Democrats, actually has to respond to you and shape up. They do not have to shape up right now. It doesn't matter. You don't matter. If you had some kind of competition, then they'd be like, oh, wow, like, maybe we have to actually start like, delivering on schools or public safety or homelessness or you know, like substance abuse or whatever the issue is, because someone might vote a forwardist in, and a forwardist isn't coded as racist or anything else, you know what I mean? Like the, the game is like, if you were to run as a Republican in, in Seattle, it's a non-starter. It, it, like it's over before it starts. You run as a, a forward party member, no one knows what the hell that means. You know what I mean? They'll look at them and be like, I have no idea what this person's uh, party affiliation means, so I guess I have to meet them. I guess I have to listen to them. I guess I have to go to their website. Like, you have billions of dollars inflaming us and pretending we're in this ideological war. You know why? Because that's how they're making money. That's actually only the way they can survive now, is that if media organizations deliver the straight news, over 2,000 local papers have gone out of business. Uh, you know, and so the only ones that are left standing have figured out that their business model is giving people comfort food and disguising it as news. So what's the relationship between the Ford party uh, and the Republicans and Democrats? Uh, do they feel threatened at this point? Do you need to do something to achieve some of your goals to start that base? Oh yeah, we need to do a lot. I mean, you know, why am I here today? I'm here because I'm hoping that some of you will be like, wow, this is actually interesting. I'm interested enough to look into this. And just go to forwardparty.com, you can click on Washington State. We're having a public event uh, tomorrow where you can dig in further uh, and figure out what we're doing here in, in the state. The great thing is we can support people in any race of either party or no party just trying to do good things. People ask me what my politics are. It's doing things that help people, period. And there are a lot of folks who, like I left the Democratic Party, like, you know, like cast me as like, I don't know, like a Trump enabler or like a megalomaniac. It's like, look, I'm just trying to do good things for people. I ran for president trying to abolish poverty. I got attacked for that. that was, like, I was like, I can't believe this. I thought you guys would think I was like to the left of Bernie. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, though I kind of enjoyed being the magical Asian man from the future who wanted to give everyone money. It was good times. Uh, my wife was like, where's this like, vast wealth they keep talking about? <laughs> um, so I, I'm here because we're, we're trying to movement build. Uh, we could certainly use your help, and we're doing this in states around the country. And everyone loves it because they get it. Like at the local level, they're like, oh, you know, he's right. Like I don't have any meaningful say. Like you know, my kids like, you know, like, are um, either wrapped up in social media and like, you know, national ideological issues or checked out of local politics. Are there one or two specific policies that you could look at the forward party and say, this is what they're standing on, this is what they're building on? Oh yeah, and I wanna use this as an illustration. So I said Alaska, right? Six million turned off the party primaries. You said, wow, they did that? Like how much did that get reported? Not much, even though some national, uh, you know, na nationally important races were, were directly impacted. Uh, the same get rid of the party primaries ballot measure was uh, up in Nevada uh, last November, same thing, also underreported. Um, so both parties came out against it, and, and this is to your point, David, it's like, what's the forward party about? The forward party is about just reconnecting people to your elected representatives. They say you're connected now, you're not. It's a fiction. Uh, you, what, they, what we have to do is actually make it real again. We have, we have to make it so that it's not getting filtered through a party system that is designed more to serve special interests 
than constituents. So in Nevada, they actually put this up and said, hey guys, how about you get rid of the party primaries? Anyone can vote for anyone. Republicans came out against it. Democrats came out against it. I was in Nevada, and Democrats were getting text messages on their phone saying, vote no on question three, because it would be too confusing for voters. That was what they said. What is the real answer? The Democrats went to their consultants and said, hey guys, where are we on getting rid of the party primaries? And the consultants were like, we hate it. Because right now we can predict how we're gonna win. We know the win number. We know like, how to get those votes. You let anyone vote for anyone, all of a sudden we don't know who's gonna win. And that is the enemy. So the Democrats and Republicans came out against it, but Nevadans still voted for it. And the winning advertisement was a military veteran looking at the camera saying, I went overseas to defend the country. I came back. I cannot vote in our primaries. And I don't think that's right. And a majority of Nevadans were like, oh yeah, that guy should be able to vote. Think about it. Both parties come out against it and Nevadans approve it. So when you say, what does the forward party stand for? The forward party stands for that. The forward party stands for actually making it so that you have control over your own future. Now, Andrew, before uh, you focused on politics, you went all in on universal uh, basic income. Given the state of our economy today and what economic policies do you see as um, something that you would like to see passed moving forward? One of the most heartbreaking things that happened over the last couple of years is that we lifted, well, this part was good. Um, we lifted millions of American families out of poverty with an enhanced child tax credit that put four or $500 um, per child per month into families' hands. And then what did we do because of our dysfunction? We took it away. We took it away at the beginning of last year. And when we took it away, I actually thought January 15th, 2022, millions of families are gonna wake up and not get the money that they've been getting for months. And I was wondering, were you going to see protests? Were you going to see news stories? Were you going to see, and you're shaking your head, what happened? Nothing. And it turns out that those millions of American families who are on the edge of poverty do not have the bandwidth or flexibility to go and protest, to show up in the streets, to march in the Capitol, to show up in the Congress. All that happened to them is we just plunged them back into poverty and then they you know, were scraping furiously to get by. And that broke my heart um, because I ran for president on trying to alleviate poverty. I started a lobbying uh, uh, organization to push for anti-poverty measures and cash relief that's still in DC doing that work today, Humanity Forward. Uh, and then they took it away. Uh, and, and so, and there was no outcry, you know? And, and so you have to ask yourself, like, what kind of country are we living in where that's the state of affairs? And it's, we're, we're at a point where most Americans do not matter um, in terms of what happens. Uh, at a policy. By the way, that was a Princeton study. They actually looked up like what do people think and want and then what we get and there was no relationship. Um, if they took the top 10%, all of a sudden there was a positive relationship. So, uh, so people are being presented with a story as to how they can change this powerlessness that they feel. And the forward party is a genuine, positive, productive, constructive way to restore that sense of, the, the reality of that power uh, to the American people. In the absence of something like this, what story will they be fed? It's these people's fault, hate them, uh, let, let's tear it all down. That story, by the way, is winning in American life. You know, and, and, and the story that they're getting uh, it, on the other side is like, like you are um, immoral and evil for thinking and feeling these things. The forward party story is look, 
The system is broken for you. The system is broken for you. Let's fix it for real. We'll be back with more after this. At Amazon, there's a way up for anyone because there's something for everyone. Like Jessica, who completed free technical training programs and is getting her bachelor's with Amazon's prepaid tuition. Even if you have no knowledge or no experience in IT, Amazon has the tools and the resources to teach you. I've been promoted three times and it's been a significant boost in pay for me. Free technical training programs at Amazon move full-time and part-time employees into higher paying jobs. Visit aboutamazon.com for more info. Okay, before we open up the, uh, the floor to questions uh, from our audience, uh, one quick question about artificial intelligence. It's oh, please. Really, no, I'd, I'd love it. It's really exploded. Um, and uh, is it possible and is it necessary for the future of this country to roll it out responsibly? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the incentives right now are going to tend towards disaster, truly. Um, because you have mega tech companies like uh, you know like the one across the street um, that that uh, have massive incentives to go fast 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 they're competing with each other look this is one of the only times in our memory that the major firms are raising their hands saying look you should probably regulate us on this <laughs> you know what I mean uh, and if we don't heed that which we probably won't Think about the American regulatory approach to social media. What has it been? No one knows still. You know what I mean? Incoherent. Section 230 was written in the 90s before Facebook was even started in 2004. So we're left with this like bizarro broken, by the way, no repercussions again. It's like they just keep on rattling around. Um, it, it is a byproduct of having uh, DC on like a 25 year tape delay. Uh, so. So having that kind of tape delay with AI is going to be catastrophic. And my, uh, my friend actually, she's a very, very optimistic person. She said like, Andrew, how bad can it be? And I was like, you know, like unwarranted military conflict, uh, mass identity theft, complete disintegration of the public consciousness and discourse. <laughs> you know? And she was like, well, when you put it that way, it sounds pretty bad. And I was like, oh yeah, it could get very, very bad. Um, so uh, so that, that is where we're heading uh, if there isn't a massive institutional response. My mom, who I love, we went to a, uh, a store, a big box store a little while ago. I was visiting her with my daughter and uh, we were going through the checkout stand and I wanted to go through you know, the automated stand, just get through, there was no line, and she was like, no, you gotta go through you know, a regular line, these people have jobs, uh, you know, we need to support them. Um, what is that relationship? What do I say to my mom as we look into this future with some of this AI? You know, um, I, I would just say, okay, like, you know, like you, you should do what you want to do, mom. Um, uh, and she's right in that being a retail cashier is the second most common job in the US economy. Um, but we all know that those jobs are going to shrink in number. Uh, there aren't enough of your moms, you know what I mean? There are more of you and of me, frankly. I mean, I, I'll, I'll go straight to the automated line. So uh, what are the five most common job categories in the United States? Number one, administrative and clerical, including call center workers. You can see where that's gonna go. Number two is retail. Number three is food service and food prep, which is gonna be among the most resilient because those workers are really cheap. Number four is truck driving and transportation, and number five, believe it or not, is still manufacturing. Um, what percentage of American jobs are in those five categories? About half. What percentage of Americans do not graduate from a four-year college? 
about two-thirds. So you have a population that's majority high school grads, and we're going to decimate those jobs very, very quickly. Uh, and, and there's not even a straightforward conversation about it. We're immiserating the, the uh, bulk of this population. It, it, I mean, it breaks my heart. You know, like my, my parents came to this country for a better life for me and my brother, and it fucking worked, you know? Um, but like, I'm, I'm a parent now, and I look at my kids, I'm just like, holy crap, like what are we gonna leave you guys? If you guys wanna be proud of the country that we are leaving to our kids and grandkids, we have to start doing something different. Because thinking that we're gonna get the solution out of this dysfunctional system that profits regardless of what happens to us, it is, is not a path to any place positive or meaningful. All right, so we're gonna uh, open up the floor and answer some questions uh, that have been submitted. The first question, uh, how have you adjusted your mental model about UBI following the experience of stimulus funding during the pandemic? Now, I, I, I uh, referenced the enhanced child tax credit. I have another confession for you all. So um, I, I ran on universal basic income, named it the freedom dividend because it tested better with conservatives with the word freedom in it. We tested a bunch of things. I'm a very practical soul. Too practical, you would say. So, um, uh, so uh, the Freedom Dividend Plan was 1000 bucks a month uh, for every uh, American and, um, starting at age 18. Um, I wanted to anchor the conversation at a particular point, but like, I thought that if we wound up with a negative income tax, like, that would have been great. We end up with an enhanced child tax credit, that would be great. Like, there are all sorts of anti-poverty things that I would be pumped about. Um, uh, and so I'm, I'm a huge UBI champion and zealot and believer, but like I, I'm not dogmatic. Like I, I don't, uh, I'm, I'm not someone that uh, you know like doesn't think that there are different ways to to go about solving these problems. Uh, one thing I would love to see would be anything that we can do to spur uh, employment um, in an era when AI is going to eat up a lot of these jobs. Um, uh, and uh, I think we have to make it. Uh, easier for people to hire, which could include, in my mind, like imagine a government matching program. It's like, hey, if you hire someone a certain profile, we'll pay for like five bucks an hour for that person. Like you can pay them, you know, whatever, like 12 and then a total 17. Like something along those lines. Um, during the pandemic, Mark Cuban uh, suggested we get, send people a currency that you can only use at locally owned small businesses, and if you don't use it in a certain time frame, it disappears. You know, like uh, one of the things that we should be counteracting is the Amazonification of the economy. You know what I mean? Like, I love mom and pops. I love small businesses. I ran a small business. My first job was as a busboy at a Chinese restaurant that has uh, since shut down. So, so these are like the, the jobs that make a lot of these communities tick. Uh, and we're, we're making it harder and harder for them to, to thrive or even survive. Okay. Next question. How does the forward party's approach differ from the socialist party? and other left-wing parties that we have here in Seattle? Uh, so I, I'm very sympathetic to folks who are trying to make changes, um, but, you know, like really um, from just about any point in the ideological spectrum, honestly. Um, and what I would ask of folks who are trying to go about it, let's say from everywhere from socialist to libertarian, is we have to team up and make common cause and say, look, the mechanics of this are going to make it so that 
none of us and the majority of Americans will have any chance to, to have meaningful choice unless we implement something like nonpartisan primaries and ranked choice voting, and then everyone can have like a fair shot. Because in this system, no one has a fair shot. They'll just pat you on the head and pretend, um, and, and then you can, you know, get like you can scrape by with the social media following and like a little podcast and like you know try and like make ends meet. Like that, that's also not a path to success. Um, one of my beefs with people who are on uh, sort of an ideological end of the spectrum is that they're not very open to working with people who are in another part, point in the ideological spectrum. Like, I'm, I'm at a point in the ideological spectrum where it's like, look, let's just solve the problem. You and I do not have to agree on a lot of things. <laughs> if we could agree on, like, you know, actually restoring the connection between uh, uh, us and, uh, and, our, and our leaders, um, then we can hash it out. We can hash it out in a system that actually cares about what you and I think. Uh, one of the misconceptions about the forward party, and it may or may not be misconception, whatever. You can decide for yourself. Um, so, so some people think it's like, okay, um, you've got the, the two parties and the forward party then by necessity is somewhere in the middle. It's like a common thought. Um, some of the things I want you would probably not consider like, you know, in the middle, <laughs> you know, like some of the things I want, like are relatively dramatic, uh, uh, honestly. Um, but the, the game that they're playing with us is to slice us up along an ideological spectrum and say, hey, you're over here, you should hate those people. Don't work with them, you know, like, like that, 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 that's, not, that's not good. Um, and so I, I'm in this practical zone where it's like, I will work with you, like I'll work with just about anyone who wants to try and, make it so that we can have like a, a genuine say in what the heck we're getting uh, in, in our own communities. So the next question, and, and you and I talked a little bit about this backstage, um, will the forward party run a candidate for president in 2024? We are not looking at the presidential race at all. We're looking at the 520,000 local races that uh, most of which are going uncontested. We think that's where the durable progress can be made, the action is. And I'm gonna tell you a story that'll be, you know, I'm a public school parent. How many of you are public school parents? Or parents at all, so it's cool. Um, so I'm gonna tell you a story about a school board election that might seem familiar. So there are four candidates, uh, far left, two in the middle, far right. Democrats endorsed the person on the far left. Republicans endorsed the person on the far right. They won, now they can't get anything done. They don't agree on anything. Uh, <laughs> and um, most parents, if they'd actually like, you know, met these folks would be like, oh, we should probably just choose the two people in the middle, and then they would just, you know, like keep their heads down and do practical school board type stuff. So uh, in, in this version of the world, if the forward party was, endorsed those two people in the middle, then you knew that, oh, that means these people are actually kind of reasonable and results oriented and like open to collaborate. Like that's a vision, um, and, and that's what the forward party wants to make real. We just had our first mayor flip from another party to forward party, raise his hand and said, hey guys, like, I'm with you. How many of the country's mayors do we think we can enlist that way? Hundreds, maybe thousands. Because there are a lot of folks uh, in, uh, in different parts of the country, they're tired of the, the, you know, the, the inflammatory stuff, and they also are uncomfortable introducing themselves as a Democrat or Republican in their own communities. They say, you know, you introduce yourself as a Republican in a place like this, it's like, ah, you know? And, and by the way, I've been in Iowa, and like I said, like I was in a diner, and, and I said, hey, I'm running for president. And then the waitress said, uh, oh, what party? And I said, Democrat. She was like, oh, and I was like, oh my gosh. It's like, what did I say? Um, so, uh, so there are a lot of folks who don't want to be in that tribal war 
who represent various communities at various levels. So we're gonna get hundreds of them to sign up for the forward party and, and then you look up and the national parties will not care about this. You know, they'll be like, whatever. Like the, the Democratic Party has totally given up on rural areas in red America. The Republican Party has totally given up on like cosmopolitan urban enclaves. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, uh, and so if, if we get hundreds, even thousands of reasonable local officials, uh, like the national parties will ignore it because they'll, like, they'll be like, that doesn't matter. Um, but I'm gonna suggest it does matter. And I'm gonna suggest that over time, that's how we actually change things for the better. Okay. So what are your ideas to activate and engage into new political movement uh, those who feel excluded, minorities, uh, you know, uh, people living in poverty? Yeah, and, and this is something I'm deeply, deeply sympathetic to. Uh, I'm the son of immigrants. I was not raised in a political family. Uh, my parents were not pumped when I said I was going to run for <laughs> office, much less president of the United States. Though even my wife was like, president of what? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> United States, obviously, maybe. Uh, so so there, there are a, a lot of people in marginalized communities who don't think that uh, their voice matters. Um, uh, and the, the harsh truth is that they're largely correct. And then the, the question is, how can you activate enough of them to be like, no, no, if you come into this group and, and we're here and the rest of it, like you can actually see something meaningful happen. Um, that's gonna be a tough case to make uh, unless we actually can demonstrate it in their community. By example, by having their mayor, <laughs> like whoever, by doing real stuff. Um, and I love the early adopters to the forward party because they tend to be really positive and optimistic. Um, and, it, and if we maintain that energy, then we can lift up people who right now have given up on politics from every community. And by the way, this is part of the game too that infuriates me because it's going to hasten our destruction. Um, but, but there are people in what you'd think of as traditionally democratic constituencies who are not fans of the Democratic Party. They're, they're, you know what I mean? They're, they're, and, and then they, they're, like, there's this national narrative. It's like, oh, you're a person of color, so you must therefore be a Democrat. Uh, and there, there are a lot of people in those communities who are like, that, that doesn't describe me. You know? like, maybe I'm a person of faith. Maybe I'm like, a, you know, like, they're, they're, like a whole lot of things going on. Um, so separating us into these boxes serves their ends and not ours. Okay, next question. It sounds like the forward party is uh, running on the same outrage uh, polit uh, politics that fuel Democrat and Republican narratives. How are you different? Oh my gosh, <laughs> I mean, if, if anything, we're, we're trying to like bring the temperature down, way down, you know what I mean? Like uh, trying to make it so that uh, that you can agree to disagree and you, you like respect and admire the person if you're like another point in, in your um, you know, like policy desires. And, and the great thing is you don't need 51% of Americans to join the Ford Party to accomplish that vision. Because right now you have a two-sided clash where they'll just be like, hey, someone called it angertainment the other day. You know, it's like, uh, it, it's like this. Uh, like how many U.S. senators would you need to have a fulcrum that actually says, hey guys, neither of you can pass anything uh, unless you work with us, so like, let's tone it down and like, come to the table. How many U.S. senators would you need? Two, maybe? You know, three max? Uh, how many members of Congress? 10 to 12, <laughs> something along these lines? If 10% of Americans were to join the forward party, we would have the, those buffers and then we would be able to, to like bring the temperature down. 
Because right now, again, the media organizations, what do they do? They take the worst person of the other party and say, look, look, you know? Uh, but then if, if that's not the game anymore, then like, what, you know, what can you do? Um, so that, we can achieve that. By the way, that's true also at state levels because you have all these state legislatures that are also hyper-polarized. If you had 15% uh, of legislators in the average state, you could tone everything down. We're the chill out party. We're like the, like let's get stuff done and stop yelling at each other party. So I don't know if that sounds like we're stoking outrage to you all. If there is anything that you should be outraged by, it's that we are being turned against each other. It's that there is like this pretense, that, that there's this like multi-billion dollar game. I mean, I referenced it earlier, $8 billion spent every election cycle making us hate each other. How much gets spent after the fact to like bring us back together? How much is being spent on trying to repair and modernize the democracy? Like a, like a sliver of a sliver of a sliver of a sliver. It breaks my heart. This is the case I'm making. Maybe there's someone you know, here who actually I mean, like can make a difference even at the national level in terms of resources or is watching this. Um, but by the numbers, you have eight billion being spent in, the, in partisan politics. One of the biggest champions of this reform movement was actually a climate change activist. And then she said, you know what? We're never gonna make, make an impact on climate unless we actually cure our democracy first. You know who said that recently? Al Gore. He was like, democracy reform has to precede addressing climate change. And again, you could put anything in the, in the place of climate change and you'd probably be right. Like, are, is our educational system gonna improve uh, if we don't cure our democracy? Like, uh, you know, is our approach uh, like uh, a lot of these intractable issues? Uh, it, we're, we're, being, we're being played. Like, let, let's stop being played. Okay. Uh, next question, is Washington State a good candidate for final five ranked choice voting due to already utilizing the top two primary? Uh, how soon could it become a reality here? Um, I love top five, uh, final five voting, which is the system I described in Alaska, where anyone can run any party and then you choose in top five via ranked choice voting. Ranked choice voting, by the way, you know what it is? It, it, it brings the temperature down. Because if you have, let's say, five candidates, and then I trash uh, David, then we both look kind of bad. Um, and then uh, she benefits. Uh, I don't know your name, miss. Erica. Then Erica looks good by comparison. By the way, ranked choice voting, you know who has been demonstrated to help? Women and underrepresented minority candidates. And I've talked to women candidates who actually said, like, I ran because it was ranked choice voting. I felt like I could be myself and be more collegial. Mary Peltola, super, like, super pleasant. And, and benign, you know? She's just like, vote me, like rank me second. Um, so so, uh, so uh, that, uh, I mean, it's wonky, but like if someone asked me, like how do you uh, fix American politics, my shortest answer would just be ranked choice voting. Uh, and, and that would be actually, and I know Seattle has ranked choice voting and that there are people here who are very sympathetic to it. Um, it by the way, it's better outside of the party primary. It, it's like, it's better than nothing within the party primary. Um, but it's, it's even better if everyone can vote because then it, it gives everyone a say and then it ends up giving energy towards like the, the true consensus. So we're just about to run out of time. What's the one takeaway you want us all to have uh, as we move forward with you and, and your party? Yeah, so this is a test I would leave you with. This is a test I give myself. Um, that what would it take for you to feel good about our future again? What would it actually take? You know what I mean? Not a holding action, not a we avoided disaster for another day, but actually feel good. Like actually feel pumped about what we're leaving to our kids. And then do that. Now like I, I have a vision for how we can get there. It's cool if you're like, you know, that vision's not for me. 
Um, though if you do decide to do another vision, please do try and dig into whether it's going to actually get you there and it's not like going to reward like some of your like, you know, desires for, I, I don't know, like, uh, uh, like emotional approval or other things. Like, like dig into whether it's actually gonna, gonna get us there. But let's feel good about our future again. All right, Andrew Yang, we are officially out of time. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, and uh, thank you all for being a part. Thank you, Seattle. Cross it's great to see I you all. Stuff. It's great to be back. That's it for today's episode. Thanks to Andrew and David for the talk. This episode of Crosscut Talks was produced by Seth Halloran and engineered by Resty Bacall and Victoria Ralph. And the event was produced by Jake Newman and Anne O'Dowd. Madeline Happold managed our audience engagement. And you can subscribe to Crosscut Talks wherever you listen. And if you like the show, please review us. We want to know what you think. For the latest political, environmental, and cultural news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. And if you would like to support the work we do at Crosscut, whether it's live events we host or the in-depth reporting we do every day, go to crosscut.com membership. In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to on-demand programming on Seattle's PBS station, KCTS 9. Crosscut Talks is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Paris Jackson. We'll be back soon with another conversation.